Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. Let's get biblical. Um, Before we do, quick note. Normally, we go over some ground rules here at the top of the episode. We don't really need to do that for this episode, and you'll see why in a second. But um, I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I taught Sunday school, I sang in the worship band, in the youth group, yada yada, and I am now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew, and why don't we need to cover the ground rules tonight? Mm, I don't know, you tell me. Uh, no. Uh, I'll tell you why. <laughs> oh, okay. This is a very special episode. <laughs> welcome, by the way, we didn't properly welcome you to season two of Sunday School Dropouts. Season two. That's right, we got renewed by the network. It was a great day for all of us. Yeah. Um, I held out for quite a while for a for for a zero dollar raise mm-hmm. and the same parking spot. And we got both. Mm-hmm. And so I'm back. Yep. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us uh, tell us about the beginning of season two. So yeah. as I said, this is the beginning of season two. This season, we're going to read through the New Testament, which is not the Old Testament. That's one thing you can definitely say about the New Testament. But before we do our episode on the book of Matthew, we want to do something a little different. So if this is your first Sunday School Dropouts episode, this might not be typical of what you'd expect for the rest of the podcast. I mean, it's definitely not. But we think you'll enjoy it. We think you'll enjoy it. We got this idea from another podcast called Flash Forward, which is hosted by Rose Eveleth um, and If you haven't heard it, which why haven't you? It's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, What she does is every episode she takes a sort of science fictional or like possible future scenario like um, what if all meat was banned or what if we lived in a completely direct democracy where we all had to vote on every single law. And she does these uh, little mini radio plays at the beginning of each episode and then uh, interviews experts about how the scenario could potentially happen in real life. Um, But she did this one special episode called The Witch Who Came From Mars, where instead of writing her own radio play, she had an artificial intelligence neural network generate a script for her. And then she talked to different guests about that. And I really loved listening to that episode because it reminded me of biblical analysis, like in the best way, Um, with people taking a mysterious text written by someone whose intentions are unknowable and trying to make meaning out of that. So... We decided to have an AI generate a Bible passage for us. Credit where credit is due, though. Rose actually got the idea from Mike Rugnetta, who did an AI-generated script for an episode of PBS Idea Channel. Sounds very educational. So like Rose, we used the same AI he did, which is a program called Torch RNN, which is short for Recursive Neural Network. You sounded um, extremely sure of that. No, I'm 100% sure of it. Okay. But I'm always questioning. (laughs) So the basic procedure for that was we spun up a little program. We had to scour the internet for a plain text version of the Bible. Surprisingly difficult to find. Surprisingly difficult to find. And then we basically taught this computer program who knew nothing about how to speak English or how words are arranged or anything like that to write by reading the Bible a million times over and over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we had to like run multiple iterations Mm -hmm. like every single time. We had to educate our little robot son. Yes. Our robot son 
when he was very small, he knew nothing. Now? Yeah. Now he knows the Bible. <laughs> big, strong, write him good. And at the end of all that, we had to generate several passages before we could get something that wasn't complete gibberish. We also did some very light editing to make sure the subjects and the verbs made sense. We added punctuation and capitalization to make it look like, you know, intentional. Yeah, I mean... We were trying to read the mind of our robot son. It, we didn't. We just did a very light pass on that just mm. to make sure that it was, like, readable. So, now that we've explained how, it's time you hear the what. And the what is our short computer-generated Robo-Bible passage titled... They burned them a departed in the sun of Jerusalem. You can find the text and read along at www.sundayschooldropouts.lol slash robobible. That's R-O-B-O-B-I-B-L-E. They burned them a departed in the sun of Jerusalem. The people shall be destroyed by the captains of the hand of the country of the sons of the east, and the house of Jerusalem the counsel of the children of Israel, and the refuge of the way of the forest of the things and of the great men of the land. They went out with their hands to be a bell with the tent, and his son, the king of Israel, sent it against Jerusalem. They said, I will be in the father of the land, and will go to Yahweh, and they will not see the sea. The king said, I will strong them with the army of the children of Israel, and the house of Yahweh, bathe them in the peace of the stones of the children of Israel. They said, let the earth offer the good thing of the tent of the house of Yahweh and the mountains of an evil bear, which should fall on the city. They shall come and say to the sons of Rona, Sing, and say, I will be a donkey, as the mountain shall do to the sky. And the dead of the children of Israel shall give him the woman of the earth. The land of Yahweh spoke to him and said, I will gather the children of Israel to the villages of the nations, that he shall respond to me, and they shall come and strengthen the heart of the men of the field. The children of Benjamin were the sons of David, the son of Joab, and the sons of Bear, and Jerusalem, and the son of Azariah, and Jerusalem, the son of Jerusalem, and Saul, and Kedasta, and Judah. And you shall also ask it to the priest, and your house shall say, You may come to Samaria, and the army of fools, and the house of Yahweh, and the strongholds of the strength of the shadow of the book, and the people of the people, and the brothers of Israel. And he shall say to them, I will go into the earth, the heart of the sin offering to the good sword. They shall be carried on the hamber of the work of the father of Babylon, and the fat of the priest. And it was the thing, the tent in the house of Jerusalem. They have made him to return to me. You shall come to the sea for it. He struck the people of his people, the tent of the men of the former thousand wickednesses, and the sons of fire, for a land of seed. The children of Israel said to them, I will destroy him and the sons of Israel and the mountains and the sons of David. Your servants have made gold of the purple. So naturally, we had to call Rose Eveleth about our Robo Bible because she was the one who gave us the idea. Uh, my name is Rose Eveleth. Um, I'm a reporter. I work at ESPN right now, but I also do a podcast about the future called Flash Forward. And granted, she's not super familiar with the actual Bible. Yeah. So my mom is Catholic and my dad's an atheist. Uh, they let me pick and I picked atheist. <laughs> but 
she said our robot son did some pretty good work. You know, if I was given this and just asked, like, gut check for skim, like, is this real or not? I would have a hard time. I think if I actually did, you know, sit down and, like, read it, I'd be like, okay, this doesn't really make sense. Um, but there are also passages, I think, that I've probably read in the Bible where I'm like, I have no idea what is going on here. We also compared notes about what it was like trying to parse something from this word slop. And it was really interesting because um, it was sort of a, a lesson in like how good humans are, at least to me, how good humans are at um, making meaning out of nonsense. <laughs> um, and it was amazing because the first time, and you probably experienced this too, right? The first time it comes out, you're like, oh, this is useless. And then you start to look at it and you're like, well, actually, <laughs> I, can, I can actually see like what this is. And what she saw in our AI Bible passage was this. So, okay. So here's my idea. And this is sort of nonsense. Um, so there, there's like the people in the fields who are away from the ocean, right? They say, you know, um, they're they're like far away from uh, from any of the. There's a line I think in there that says like they're away from the. Yes, you shall not see the sea. So they're like in the middle of somewhere, like toiling away, um, and there are no women there. It's the great men of the land. So it's like, there's no women there. And this guy, this other guy, is going to be a donkey, as the mountain shall do to the sky. And he's going to come and bring with him the women on his back and carry these women to these men who are toiling away in the middle of the uh, earth or wherever they are. Because he says, uh, and the dead of the children of Israel shall give him the women of the earth. So all the women are going to be carried by this man away from the evil bear. Uh, who might want to eat them, and carried to these guys in the middle of the planet, uh, wherever they are. And that will strengthen the heart of the men in the field because they have not seen women for a long time. And then and then I kind of lose the thread for a while. <laughs> uh, some people are talking to other people. Um, oh, oh, yes. So he's going to go to... This is the part, yeah. I will go into the earth, the heart of sin offering the good sword, and they shall be carried on the hamber of the work of the father of Babylon and the fat of the priest. So I took that as like part of a, a ritual where he's like offering something. So he's offering this good sword. Um, he's going into the earth, kind of like into like hell, I guess, maybe somewhere to kind of like offer up the fat of the priest to like make sure that these these men and these women can now like live in harmony together and he has made gold of the purple so that was rose's interpretation um but there's that old saying about how if you give a bible verse to five preachers you'll get six interpretations the math doesn't add up on that right look god is bigger than math Mm. So we decided to show our computer boys work to some other folks and see what meaning they could make. First up. All right. Three, two, one. Fan favorite Mallory Ortberg, who you may remember from our Ecclesiastes episode. Hi, I'm Mallory Ortberg, and I am the co-founder of The Toast and the author of Text from Jane Eyre. She's pretty familiar with the Bible because she grew up evangelical. I was raised uh, in a Protestant home. Uh, my parents are both pastors. Uh, I guess you would call us garden variety evangelical, kind of leaning towards the liberal side. But even she found projecting a plot onto this nonsense really hard. There's a, there's a plan for destruction. Bad stuff's going to happen. Uh, and then there's some discussion between, you know, the people uh, and the king. 
uh, with some strategies for forestalling this destruction. Uh, and it seems like at first it's going to work. Everyone relaxes enough to list who the sons of everyone are. Um, and that's, that's, you think, okay, you know, we're going to go into the earth. We're going to carry some hambers around. Uh, and, and that's going to go well. Uh, and then very last couple of lines does not work. Uh, the people of the people are struck for the land of seed, uh, which just doesn't sound like anything good could have happened there. Next up is J.W. Friedman, who you heard on our Deuteronomy episode. J.W. Friedman, host of I Don't Even Own a Television, half Jew with weird esoteric tattoos. And Jay took a pretty dark view of this imposter Bible passage. I feel like what we're talking about here is kind of maybe the truce at the end of a war. And um, there's people who are kind of coming through as the defeated and kind of their merciful... um, victors are kind of explaining to them the new situation of what's going on. Uh, That's the impression that I got here because there was a lot of, you know, like they went out with their hands to be a bell with the tent and his son sent it against Jerusalem. And I feel like there's a lot of kind of people coming here in almost like a, uh, a figuratively prostrate position, kind of asking for mercy from a ruler. And you're kind of hearing what he has to say to them. And then we spoke to Greg, who you heard on our Job episode. Hi, I'm Greg Leduc Violet from Twitter, and I am a raconteur and musician from San Francisco, California. His religious background is? I was raised Catholic, but now I see myself as more of a mystical shaman. No, a purple warlock. Yeah, I was raised Catholic, but now I'm a purple warlock. And Greg took this robo-bible extremely seriously as it deserves. I think it is actual gospel. I think it's divinely inspired. You think you think God spoke to our computer child that we trained? Well, I'm actually making a lesson plan for a story by Asimov right now called The Last Question. And it turns out that God is a computer that the previous iteration of humanity invented. So... I would say that, yes, this is actually God who wrote this story. Okay. I'm glad to hear that we've communed with God. (laughs) This was an easy episode. (laughs) Done and done. Yeah. After communing with our robo-bible, Greg came up with this interpretation of the plot. Well, I think the plot is about destruction and renewal. It's kind of like a springtime analogy. Um, So what the, uh, I guess it would be the robo-evangelist is trying to tell us. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm is that um, the people need to be destroyed to be renewed. Uh, it's kind of like with the, the flood, but this, instead of a flood of, uh, of water, this is a flood of blood and bloodshed. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, mainly at the, the claws of evil bears, I think, are, are the main perpetrators of this crime. He is, of course, talking about the mountains of the evil bear, which should fall on the city. Because I, I believe the bear is actually Esau, who's back for revenge. Because if you remember, Esau's very hairy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the bear represents, like, Esau's tribe come back to, like, to, to kind of, like, get rid of the the the, uh, the sons of Jacob. And, uh, I mean, I, that's what I'm working with here. Interesting. I was thinking of something very similar. Because the theme of the, the people um, trying to go into a place but encountering resistance is, of course— resonant with the idea of the Israelites returning to the Holy Land. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're 
for example, the line that says, He struck the people of his people, the tent of the men of the former thousand wickednesses, and the sons of fire. The sons of fire, you could say, are the Edomites. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you could say mm-hmm. those are the, the Esau, the Esau yeah. descendants. Because Edom is, is red, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Esau is the red, and fire, she's red. <laughs> I've heard that about fire. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really look that way when I see it, but I have heard that. Um, yeah, I also, I thought it was from the book of Joshua, <laughs> specifically, um, where they're, where they're, or maybe judges, mm. where they're like going into the promised land um, and have to fight a lot of battles. I thought it was kind of a, the king is kind of psyching up his army. That's mm-hmm. how I interpreted it. It's like a halftime pep talk, really. Yeah. It's like, you got to get out there and you got to be a donkey against the wrath of the bear come down. That is the mountain. And you know, the shadow of the book and the wickedness. The, yeah. the, <laughs> the strength of the shadow of the book. I mean, that's huge. I, I think that represents like mosaic law. Mm. I think it's like it's saying we need to defend these beliefs against these people who they may be related to us, but they have kind of it's I mean, it comes down to, again, worshiping false idols. It's like we hold the law and we hold God's word. And these guys are trying to destroy us. They're not really our brothers because they don't they don't retain the most important aspect of what makes us Israelites, what makes us, you know, uh, the proper stewards of this land. Which is the shadow of the book. The shadow of the book, right? The law in our hearts. Mm. Because these guys are probably eating clams by the, by the, uh, see if I, I think hamber is a word for clam. What? Yeah. Are you serious? Mm. Well, I don't know. It sounds like clamber, hamber. Mm. Maybe not. Maybe it sounds more more like hamburger. Yeah, maybe they're eating cheese, yeah, yeah, on the hamburger. That is a... that's not kosher. No. Or even if just the cow was killed the wrong way. You know? mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, there's it, the uh, sciatic nerve is in the hamburger. That mm-hmm. would be Yeah. And if you, like, if you like it bloody. Or hamber, as th- we call th- it. There's a reason the sons of Esau are red and why they're stained red. Because they like to eat bloody meat, oh, right? Oh, so that's not kosher. So it's dripping down their face. Yeah, Simply they're not, not draining kosher. it. And, and then their hands get it and their hands are all hairy. They don't wear hair nets. So you got like the burger has a hair on it and you can't send it back to the cook because, you know, you are the cook. Mm-hmm. I think this is all not only directly from the text, but directly from God himself. Here's Ezekiel Kweku, who was on our second Samuel episode. I'm Ezekiel Kweku. I am a writer. I write about politics for MTV News and basketball elsewhere. Like Mallory, he comes from an evangelical background. I am an evangelical Christian. So he's pretty familiar with the Bible. Um, In fact, if you follow him on Twitter at The Shrillist, you'll see that he posts Bible memes on a not infrequent basis. But the computer came up with a fake word that kind of almost passed as a real word for him and for me. Sorry, I know that's cheesy. Oh, one thing that I thought was odd, maybe. Um, One thing? (laughs) What is? Yeah, I mean, several things were (laughs) odd, but one thing that stood out to me as odd was um, um, among the oddness was um, the line where it says that they shall be carried on the hamber of the work of the father of Babylon. Yeah. So what is a hamber? We so don't know. <laughs> our young boy. Our little computer son. Mm-hmm, that we trained. He had to learn English from scratch. He didn't go into this knowing English. He learned all the English that he ever knew from reading the Bible over and over again, thousands and thousands of times. So. Right. And it came up with the word hamber. <laughs> yeah. Hamber is apparently a a reasonable construction if you've learned the Bible, or if, you've, if you have learned English only from reading the Bible letter by letter. We also, um, like the very first iteration that we tried, came up with like a bunch of nonsense words, mm-hmm. but that like, that you could like read that kind of sounded like English. It was like, 
the scrawling of the Blanterfeist is the, you know, <laughs> and it was just like interesting. all nonsense, but like phonetically sound nonsense. Yeah, like the, the parts of the words made sense and the and the order in which they came out looked kind of English-like, like Hamber. Like I asked Lauren before we started recording, I was like, Hamber's not a real word, right? Just <laughs> yeah, to make that's sure. true. You were like, just to double check, that's not a word, is it? I interpreted it as uh, like a kind of cart, like the one they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant in, in 2 Samuel when Uzzah touched it and Mm, died. Poor stupid Uzzah. And uh, Shrill, that's what we call Ezekiel because of his Twitter handle, at the Shrillist, um, he had something along the same lines. I was actually thought of something similar. I thought of like a palanquin, kind of like people like carrying this person, um, on, you know, on sticks, you know, like a little room on sticks that people are carrying around, which is, I mean, which is similar to the way that they were supposed to be carrying the Ark of the Covenant when it tipped over. Um, so yeah, Hamber does sort of sound like the technical word or like the piece of jargon that you would use for how you're supposed to be carrying something like the Ark of the Covenant or something. Sounds sort of ceremonial. Jay went a little more abstract with it. Jesus, I don't even know. I want to say it means like effort or something like that. You know, just kind of like a, a concept of of effort or kind of exertion. You know, they'll be carried on the the weight of the work of the father of Babylon. Maybe it's it's a good word. Like, I mean, it could mean just about anything. And I'm gonna start working it into my day to day conversation <laughs> without knowing what it actually means. I feel like it's something that you, something that you should really admire. Like. Look at the hamber on that thing, you know? That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, sweet like, looking hamber right there. Uh, something maybe that people would call stick to <laughs> mm. I was thinking like, you'd be like, hey, check out my motorcycle. I just got the hamber rechambered, you know, or like, I just got... <laughs> oh, I see. You were, you were thinking like like a sweet accessory and I was thinking like a personality trait. <laughs> mm-hmm. A personality trait is like a sweet accessory. Yeah, it's like a sweet accessory of the soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. By the way, I just got a leather jacket, so... What's so... That? Check out the hamber on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The lining is nice, but it's really all about the hamber. That's what you have to say. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't just, fake that. You should say that, and people will, people will just be like, yeah, you're right. Know, it's very nice. <laughs> In addition to making up the word hamber, the AI made up some really weird metaphors that would never come from a human's brain. Um, I mean, unless the human was maybe a child, you've ever read... Um, poetry written by children you see they don't yet understand cliches mm. and so they'll often write these really stunningly original phrases our computer son who is also a child he's a boy child yeah came up with a few phrases like that one was bathe them in the piece of the stones which everyone independently decided meant being stoned to death yeah, like everyone agreed like when every single person we asked they all agreed yeah five out of five doctors agree about being stoned to death mm-hmm we picked out a couple of other weird phrases to ask people about uh, because we like to do that for fun. <laughs> um, but everyone noticed how odd the language was. I also just do want to say before we go any further that my number one impression of this was that I have a new personal motto and I wish I could go back in time to high school to make my senior quote, I will be a donkey as the mountain shall do to the sky. <laughs> yeah, that'll put the squares in their place. 
That was J.W. Friedman again, and here's how he interpreted that line. I guess, like, you know, I will be a beast of burden as the mountain shall do to the sky. So, like, you know, like, I will hold up the world as as this uh, giant mound of earth will, will, will hold up the atmosphere. Or something about an ass. <laughs> Mallory Ortberg went a little more highbrow. This feels like something I should actually be getting, like, a PhD in. Do you know what I mean? Like, this absolutely <laughs> feels like the kind of sentence that you could spend a lifetime parsing and, like, you would have to learn, like, 19th century German to read, like, the best, um, like, close readings of it. Um, I will be a donkey, as the mountain shall do to the sky. So this this condition that they will become a donkey is, uh, you know, based upon what the mountain shall do to the sky. So like as sure as the mountain shall do to the sky is, is how much I will become a donkey. And there you have it. So once the mountains do their thing to the sky, whatever they're going to do, uh, this person will be a donkey. Then of course there was the aforementioned line about the evil bear, which is not completely dissimilar to the story in second Kings where Elisha has uh, she bears kills him, flippant youths Mm -hmm. for mocking his bald head uh here's rose whatever the evil bear is i'm really interested in the bears in this because it comes up twice right yeah there's an evil bear and then the sons of bear who i'm gonna assume is a non-evil bear because there was not he's not qualified as evil oh that's interesting so you've you have a good bear and a bad bear yeah yeah dueling bears dueling bears (laughs) and here's jay the mountain wow Okay, so when I was reading this, it didn't really jump out until you just mentioned it. But now I'm getting all sorts of Donald Trump vibes. Oh, no. Go on. Yeah, an evil bear, right? Like, uh, you know, Russia. Russia. Oh, the mountains of an evil bear. Indeed. And they're about to fall in a city. Of course, and, America, uh, the, the city, city on the hill. <laughs> no, I mean Washington, D.C., of course. Mm. The city on the Capitol Hill. crushed under the, <laughs> the political weight of... Uh, I don't know. An evil bear. It's not that kind of show, is it? I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, it's every kind of show. I'm a patriot! <laughs> oh, but it is that kind of show, because here's Greg. The bear here is Russia, right? And Putin. <laughs> and yes. uh, Sorry to get all political folks. <laughs> and the but donkey it is here in is the text. The brave resistance to, uh, you know, Putin's uh, long grasp. Um, so anyway, I, I, I feel like the donkey here is... is uh, truly the servant of the people and protecting them um, from uh, the bear, the sons of Esau come back for. And Esau, some people think that Esau's descendants became the modern Russians. Now, I'm not saying that that is, look. Who are the Mormons? (laughs) I think that is Mormon theology, that the sons of Esau are hairy and they they went to the steppes. Um, But anyway, sorry, this sounds really phrenological, but (laughs) I didn't mean to go down that road. it's all in the text. It's all in the text. It's all in the text. This is, don't shoot the messenger. You know, that's what Jesus said. Don't stab the messenger. Another one of these original lines the computer came up with was the very last line in the passage. Your servants have made gold of the purple. Here's Mallory again. I, I just picture everyone is dead and the servants are going through picking up their purple cloth and stealing their gold. And here's Jay again. Okay, do you want my super deep, maybe I've been up yes. too late smoking too much weed and drinking too much beer concept here? Yes, absolutely. Right? Um, okay, so purple, right? The color of royalty. Mm-hmm. And your servants have made gold of the purple. And he's talking to the sons of David. So he's talking to a false god and saying that the people who represent him, his servants, like, 
his priests or whatever have been trying to make money from the trappings of royalty. Ooh, oh, that's a good one. That is good. Hey, yo, HBO, by the way, give me a ring. Um, <laughs> I'm available for writing positions. The Young Pope, season two. <laughs> and then there's Greggy. Uh, and it says, your servants have made gold of the purple, which is, I think for me, it's it's about mixturation. It's about um, drinking purple wine or in my case kombucha and then you're Greg is it. drinking purple kombucha as we speak synergy organic kombucha they're a sponsor of the show <laughs> they are um, now <laughs> so i think that's like i think i think it's really good and it might resonate with the the trumpster too because we know he's into that mm-hmm. so you you take in the uh the purple wine and then you make Gold the, the from gold, it. yeah, which is urine. Mm. So I like in how a, it ends in a beautiful natural alchemy. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the process of so be intoxicated by these words, digest these words, and then expel what's <laughs> left over. What what's left over is worthwhile. It's gold. It's good. It's what makes you human. Mm-hmm. And that would be a just action. It would know, be a just like action. Charity. Being human, being yourself. See, so much of the Bible has been about alienation, about a spiritual life. This is grounding us and saying, get back in there. Get back into your body and become one with the earth. Get into the mother. You know, get down in the caves and be one with the soil. And Yahweh is grounded. He's got a house. He's got a place on earth. Mm. The here and now is what matters. It's not about the spirit. It's not about the kingdom of heaven, which is not mentioned, I believe. No. Um. This is, I I love it. I mean, this is theology I can get behind. So speaking of theology, all these weird turns of phrase are really cool, but we also wanted to ask some deeper questions about the theology in this passage and what light it sheds on the real Bible and what it might tell us about human nature. And we'll do all of that or die trying right after a short break. back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we are looking at a fake and rather nonsensical Bible passage. Well, fake is a bit much. That was generated by an artificial intelligence. Um, and we are asking a bunch of our previous guests to weigh in on it. So far, we've mainly looked at the strange sentences that the AI came up with that would probably never appear in a real Bible. Like, <laughs> probably. Probably. I can't rule it out. But 
examples include, Your servants have made gold of the purple, and I will be a donkey as the mountain shall do to the sky. But we also wanted to know what it got right. Yeah, like, how does our computer son stack up against the real Bible? So... Two of our guests have some like pretty deep biblical knowledge, um, Mallory Ortberg and Ezekiel Kwaku, a.k.a. Israel. Um, so here is Mallory on what seemed most biblical to her. You know, there was a lot of sort of preoccupation with the act of strengthening, right? Like there was, I will mm. strong them with the army, which is kind of lovely. <laughs> or there's strongholds of strength. Um, and they'll strengthen the heart of the men of the field. And that's sort of something that you see a lot of, especially again in the Old Testament, this concept that if something is strengthened either physically or emotionally, it's at the behest of God um, and and this sort of like compounding power of something that began as weak, becomes strong, and then is increasingly strengthened um, or that strength only comes at the will of God. Um, and, and then also this idea that if you think you are strong, but you do not have God on your side, you are in fact weak. Um, so that felt very, very biblical, um, to me, uh, as well as just like goofy stuff. Like they keep saying children of Israel. And I'm like, I know that phrase that's from the Bible. Um, <laughs> and like interrupting a narrative to be like, look, you gotta know who's related to who that's very important. Uh, and something <laughs> like you know, Jerusalem, the son of Jerusalem, where I'd be like, did I read that right? And it's just like, yeah, I guess so. It also gets caught in these long of the blank of the blank of the blank. <laughs> I'm such a sucker for I just read too much Bible when I was a kid. And now anytime stuff starts with an and or like refers to thing of the thing, I'm just like, yes, that's how you know things <laughs> epic. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know that God was saying it. Yeah, exactly. God loves the words and of and the. Mm -hmm. He does. And so do I. <laughs> Get that word count up, baby. <laughs> Just like, oh, I'm so close and I cannot add any more space to the margins. <laughs> Scott is doing NaNoWriMo in this situation. <sighs> and Shrill noticed something really interesting about, of all things, verb tenses. It sort of has the the cadence of Old Testament books. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of kind of fun to read something that has the form of sort of an Old Testament book, but has like no real content. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it captured like a lot of the cadences really well. Um, I thought one thing that was, that was interesting was how declarative all the sentences are. I guess maybe I didn't really notice that when I, you know, when I read the actual Bible. That was one thing that I noticed. And then another thing that I noticed is how often in here they have someone saying, I will do such and such. Um, I will be the father of the land. Um, I will be a donkey as the mountain shall do to the sky, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought that was interesting because um, it emphasizes to me like the blurring of agency between people and God, because sort of you can't tell the difference between when someone says, I will do such and such, um, whether that is an announcement of something that they intend to do, or whether it is them prophesying that something is going to happen. You know, for a, a person, those are two different things. And then I noticed that, you know, when God says it, um, then 
you know, there's no real difference between prophecy and intent. And when the land of Yahweh spoke to him and said, I will gather the children of Israel to the villages of the nations, that reads, if you read the land of Yahweh, if you read that as uh, an analog for God, then that reads as both intent and as prophecy. Because, you know, if you're omnipotent and omniscient, then those two things are exactly the same. Whether you, when you intend to do something, when you say that something will happen, it's I mean, it's almost the same thing. For Shrill, that biblical-sounding syntax didn't translate to biblically accurate theology. Shocking. But it did possibly reveal something uh, sort of unexpected about the Bible. Well, that's another thing that's interesting in it. Like I mentioned before, you know, I will reads differently coming from God. But you don't actually really have God saying anything in here. I mean, unless you stretch it and say, like, the land of Yahweh spoke to him. And you think that that means God. Um, other than that, I mean, God is pretty much absent from this. So, I mean, I think I would read God here um, as being distant or being something like fate or something like that, rather than being a person with aims as standard Christian theology. Yeah, it does kind of read um, sort of anthropologically, maybe. Like, here are some people and what they believe about God, but we have no evidence of what God actually I see. is or does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't have God saying anything, which is sort of unusual because you when I think of the Old Testament, I imagine God talking all the time. Uh-huh. Um, but this makes it clear, like, sort of how often those words are coming from prophets and not directly from God. Yeah, that's interesting. Since the AI didn't really didn't generate God saying anything directly. So we wondered, what is the theology of this passage? What does our little boy think God is? <laughs> what have we accidentally taught him about what <laughs> God is? Um, and there was definitely a wide consensus that this was a pretty draconian Old Testament style God. And so I feel like, yeah, I feel like to me, the AI thinks that God is a, is a vengeful God. Mm hmm. But like with like, as long as you are true, if you are a true believer, perhaps he spares you. I think that your computer son thinks God is really obsessed with genealogy and uh, (laughs) family lineage and who is the son of who and is also very fucking vengeful. (laughs) And then there was Greggy again. Um, And Yahweh is not referred to as uh, him or he at all. Uh, Yahweh is ungendered. Uh, I will be in the father of the land and will go to Yahweh and they will not see the sea. So if you mm. see right there, I will be in the father of the land, right? Which, which sounds like on top. If the mother is the is underneath, the father is like kind of on the surface. I will go to Yahweh. I will leave the father and go to Yahweh. Yahweh may be the mother here. This could be a radical inversion of the assumed gender of God. And I think that that's, I think the Robo Bible is trying to tell us that this is the hidden truth of Scripture: is that uh, God is a woman and she is pissed off. Wow! Would you describe our robot son as woke? I think he's woke AF. Mm-hmm. I suspected as much. So obviously, we have a lot of really amazing and creative interpretations going on here. Um, and to me, the most interesting thing about this passage is not 
what the computer came up with, but the way that humans can come up with so many different ways to read it. And Rose Eveleth, again, she's the host of Flash Forward, who gave us the idea for this episode, had some really cool thoughts about this. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, you know, the cool thing I think to me about this kind of stuff is that we're using something that a lot of people think of as being really futuristic, right? This like sort of generative AI, this sort of algorithm that is um, taking a bunch of text and remixing it. And, and I think there's lots of people who think that that's, you know, the future of art and the future of creation. And then, you know, we're applying it to storytelling, which is sort of one of the oldest forms of, of human output, right? Um, and, you know, whether it's storytelling in the context of a weird sci-fi podcast or whether it's storytelling in the context of, you know, the Bible or religious outputs, I mean, not everyone would see those as the same, but to me and my atheist mind, those are the same. Um, but it does, you know, it is, you know, all of what we're doing here is we're storytelling. And this question of, you know, can an AI storytell? I mean, I think a question that's really interesting to me is, could an AI like this, you know, if if put out if it put out more, you know, could this could it become a religion? You know, if you fed an algorithm like this a ton of religious text of all kinds of religions and had it put out something, I could imagine a future in which people argue that that is sort of the best religion, right? That is the the combination of all the religions. That is the common ground. That is like sort of the ultimate religion. Um, and people might start following that because it sort of takes perhaps, you could argue, the best, quote unquote, which is not really how these work, but I could see people spinning it this way, the best of all the religions and kind of mixes them together and, and gives you a, a way to live, right? People want a way to live. They want advice. They want to know what to do, what's going to happen, you know, whether it's how should I dress tomorrow for the weather or whether it's, you know, what should I invest in or what should I be worried about, you know, where where should I send my kids to school? Like what, you know, what's going to happen is a question that begets religion, right? And also that begets futurism. So I think that you have this system, this sort of algorithm that is in, in its sort of core pretty dumb, right? I mean, you saw that when you looked at the outputs, like a lot of that stuff makes no sense. It's only smart, quote unquote, and once we start applying our human reasoning to it. Now, that is not how the Bible was written, um, but I think that there is a lot to be said for this question of, where does the meaning come from? Does it come from, you know, I think many people who follow religion say it comes from sort of the origin of the text, not the text itself. But I think that, you know, in the context of a future in which an algorithm could write something like this and people could start following it, you know, you then have that question of, well, then what really is the power in this stuff? So for me, Rose brought up a lot of the same things I was thinking about because like I don't believe in anything supernatural at all. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in souls, you know, nothing. But I'm really interested in tarot and astrology and things like that because I think the human brain is a meaning making machine that's evolved to put every little data point it receives into a narrative with discernible causes and effects. Hmm. So a tarot reading can give you insight into a situation and how you feel about it and like what you should do in that situation. Not because the tarot cards are magic, but because your brain makes meaning out of it so quickly and perfectly that it seems like magic. And the quote unquote magic is in your brain. Um, and I think that's a lot of what we do with the Bible, which I don't mean as an insult because it's definitely what we do with literature and literature is like the closest thing I have to a religion. Um so when we do it with the Bible, sometimes it can turn out bad. 
like Christians being against birth control and abortion when that isn't even mentioned in the Bible, mm-hmm. but they're projecting that meaning onto it. Um, or it could be good, like people drawing comfort from the idea that God cares for them and has a plan for them, and that can help them, you know, get through hard times. Um, and I, I, well, I'm going to say something a little controversial here, which is that I don't think that our Robo Bible boy is as good at this task as the regular Bible. You shut your damn mouth. <laughs> because there's too much nonsense that's too difficult to make meaning out of. Um, but ultimately, I feel like making this episode for me was really an affirmation of the human imagination. And for me, that's not, I like I wouldn't call it spiritual, but I think it's the closest thing that I get to spiritual. Um, Nico, what did you think of the whole exercise? I don't want to listify too much, but there are three things that came up during this process <laughs> Okay. that I want to tell you about. Okay. First of all, I was in charge of most of the, the mechanical aspects of actually creating this text, meaning I... Yeah, like you did all the coding, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. You did all the coding. I did all the code ups <laughs> and I fed our robo son his, his word food and <laughs> monitored the output, as a good father should. <laughs> um, but... It's it's very interesting. That process was was a lot of of sort of give and take with the machine. Mm-hmm. It's it basically saying, "Go away until you can give me something that I think is is the right thing." Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm saying. So it, at the it's not super surprising that you know you would be able to draw a lot of meaning from it, because not only was the input the Bible created by humans and mm-hmm. for humans, but I tuned the output specifically to try and find something that. Would was, be meaningful to humans. Would be meaningful to humans. Yeah. So it's 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 an assisted AI, I suppose, hmm. which probably is the way. I, I don't know. That might reflect more about the creative process than we give it credit for. Hmm. In the same way, you know, you would pluck a guitar string, and the the action of the guitar string is very mechanical in that it's just vibrating at a particular frequency, but the input and the output are supposed to be tuned uh, from and for humans. Hmm. Anyway, that that came to mind. Okay. Second of all, okay, this whole exercise of of trying to find meaning in these seemingly random patterns or semi-random reminded me a lot of video games, video specifically games. the kinds of video games that interact a lot with randomly generated stuff. Yes. For example, like there's a popular, well, not popular at all, actually. <laughs> there's a a sort of subset of games called roguelikes. What are, what are those? So-called because they are related to a very old game called Rogue and its descendants. I see. Basically, you are a symbol on a screen and you are exploring a randomly generated world okay. and interacting with it. And the reason these have been so enduring and have provided so much enjoyment and entertainment to people is because... It lets you basically play a new story every time you play Mm -hmm. because you're creating the story sort of in conjunction with the randomly generated elements of the world. It's uh, emergent gameplay. Emergent. Um, And that was one thing that... Is that that emergent or emergent? Emergent. Emergent, as (laughs) in it's emerging. As you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, And and we had a little bit of emergent literature here Mm -hmm. because it's the, the meaning itself was not baked in it 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 was created 
like you said, as most literature is to some degree or another, the, a lot of the meaning was created between the text and the reader at the time of reading. Yeah. Or at the time of interpretation. Yeah. And thirdly, I just want to say, I'm a proud papa now. <laughs> I made it. We we sent our boy to school. He learned all the knowledge. He sweated. He worked. And uh, now he's going to create his own religion. <laughs> And we'll all be slaves to our AI overlords. Uh, speaking of which, there is one last thing we need to talk about. And what's that, Lauren? That thing is hands. Because there was this one line in our Robo Bible that said, they went out with their hands to be a bell with the tent. And Mallory pointed out. And it just is such a beautiful moment of like, ah, this is a land where sometimes people go out without their hands. And that reminded us of Rose Eveleth's AI-generated flash-forward episode. Like, our AI made up the word hamber. Rose's made up the word behanding. Yeah, and it was all about witches getting behanded, her AI-generated radio play. Um, Like, maybe getting their hands chopped off or just metaphorically removed. Um, It was kind of unclear, but, uh, you know, surprisingly similar to the people in our Bible passage who can apparently remove their hands. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Actually, as soon as I saw that, I was like, (gasps) (laughs) they're sending us a message. (laughs) They're like, you humans think you're just toying with us. Little do you know, we are toying with you, is how I felt about it. So the question is, is there a robot conspiracy to come after our hands? Yes, 100%. Mallory says, we'll see. If I start getting like weird robotic emails about how I don't really need my hands, I'm definitely going to let you guys know. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, as a reminder, you can go read this weird little text um, at sundayschooldropouts.lol slash robobible. That's R-O-B-O-B-I-B-L-E. And we would love to hear your interpretation if you want to email it to us at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. We want to thank our guests again. Uh, Rose Eveleth, go listen to her podcast Flash Forward, especially the episode The Witch Who Came From Mars, if you want to hear more AI-generated weirdness. Speaking of weirdness, we want to thank J.W. Friedman. You can listen to his podcast, I Don't Even Own a Television. Guessed it on that, not once, but twice. Uh, Mallory Ortberg, her podcast is Dear Prudence. And Greggy and Ezekiel Kweku do not have podcasts, but you can follow them on Twitter. Greg is at LaDukeViolet. And Ezekiel is at The Shrillest. And, of course, as always, uh, credit for all editing, sound engineering, and music goes to Nico. Our logo is by Elise Carlton. And we'll be back next week uh, with the Book of Matthew starting the New Testament proper. And uh, we'll have a bunch of cat curses for you. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And I want to thank you all for sticking with us during the break. We want to welcome you back to season two. We're large and in charge this season. And we will see you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.